Revelation chapter 9 open in front of you as we come to study it together today. And we're considering, as we look at trumpets 5 and 6, evil on the earth. Evil on the earth. Martin Luther, the great reformer of the 1500s, is perhaps best known for his recovery of the doctrine of justification. That is, that a person is saved from sin, not by doing good works, but by trusting in the righteous life and sacrificial death of Jesus Christ and nothing else. But Luther is also well known for speaking openly and regularly about his battles with the devil. He believed that Satan was real and dangerous and was raging against him and the reforming work that God had called him and the other leaders of his day to do. Luther knew, however, that the devil was a limited enemy. He famously said, the devil is still God's devil. He is still God's devil. He is under God's control. He can do no more than God permits him to do. And he is ultimately serving God's purposes, not his own. Revelation chapter 9 continues this vision of the seven trumpets. And with the blasts of the fifth and sixth trumpets, friends, we see something very disturbing. And I'm sure you gained a sense of that even as we read the passage together. We have here described for us in picture language the release of evil spiritual forces doing dreadful, horrible work in this world with the devil as their prince. God's word is trustworthy honest and complete. There are questions we might have liked answers to that we maybe don't find in the Bible. There are also things that we might not have thought of or wanted to think about that the Bible does tell us about. And here in Revelation chapter 9, God has chosen to tell us something about the evil that exists in our world, where it comes from, what it is doing, and who is really in control of it. And some of what we consider today might invite questions from you or from someone listening in who is sceptical of what they hear. Some might say, you really believe in the devil and in demons. How unhealthy is that? Do you not think you could be doing damage to people by telling them that such things are true? How ridiculous is that? It's just something, the devil is just someone we tell our children about to scare them into doing good things. You really think it's good for anyone's mental health to tell them that there are dark spiritual forces at work in the world? You really think the world can just be summed up as right and wrong, black and white, evil and good? Those are the sort of objections that we might hear in our part of the world. They are objections, by the way, that would be treated as absolute nonsense in other parts of the world where there is much more of an understanding and awareness and thought given to these things but nonetheless those are the sort of objections we might hear none of them change the fact that this is what God's word says and we believe God's word to be the truth and if you claim not to believe in the existence of Satan and sin and the influence of evil then the burden falls on you to provide a better explanation for the dreadful things that happen in our world Why are senseless wars still taking place after supposedly thousands of years of evolution in human thinking and progress? 
Why are more people addicted to alcohol and other drugs in our country now than ever before? Why is there rampant poverty in vast regions of the world whilst a tiny minority sit on billions worth of fortunes? Why was nine-year-old Olivia Pratt-Corbell shot dead by an intruder in her home in Liverpool last month? Why do people commit rape and other perverted and violent crimes? Why are people afflicted, often testifying to voices in their heads, giving them thoughts of worthlessness and identity crisis? If you don't believe the Bible's answers to these questions, then the burden falls on you to provide a better answer for the existence of these things. The Bible tells us that a great deal of the darkness that I've just described comes from the pit of hell itself and from the influence of fallen angels, also known as demons, and their leader, Satan. The Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 6 verse 12 that our conflict as Christians is ultimately not against human beings, but ultimately against the cosmic powers, as he describes it, over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Revelation chapter 9, the sounding of the fifth and sixth trumpets, friends, describes in detail for us these spiritual forces. It's not exactly an enjoyable text to read or study, but it is necessary that we might better understand the world in which we live. And so if you have a bulletin, you can see the outline of the sermon today. We'll, we'll spend more of our time on the first point than the other two. Let's think first of all today about the reality of evil and what it causes, which is a world of suffering. The reality of evil in a world of suffering. Look at Revelation chapter 9 and verse 1. And the fifth angel blew his trumpet and I saw a star fallen from heaven to earth And he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. Who is this star fallen to earth? What does it represent? The best answer to that question, friends, is that this fallen star is Satan himself, the devil. Jesus once said to his disciples, Luke chapter 10, verse 18, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Revelation 12 describes what what I believe is the same event over again and, and describes it in a very similar way. And there are different interpretations of Jesus' words in Luke 10, but I think the best interpretation is that he was referring there to Satan being thrown out of heaven. Satan led a rebellion of evil uh, against God in heaven. Uh, The Bible talks in terms of a third of the angels following him and following his cause. And for that, as punishment, they are thrown out of heaven, cast out of uh, the glory of heaven. Uh, And Satan and demons retain a measure of power and authority as supernatural beings. Look at how verse 11 describes Satan. Chapter 9, verse 11. They have as king over them the angel of the bottomless pit. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon and in Greek he is called Apollyon. Both of those names mean destroyer, destruction. That's what Satan does. He and his followers, they, they bring spiritual destruction Chapter 9 verse 1 says Satan is given a key to the bottomless pit. We'll think more about that later but essentially that's saying that he for now at least has control over this pit. What does he bring out of it? If you look at verse 2. 
He opened the shaft of the bottomless pit and from the shaft rose smoke like the smoke of a great furnace. And then look at verse 3. Then from the smoke came locusts on the earth and they were given power like the power of scorpions of the earth. And so again, we have picture language here. It's important to always remember that. But picture language describing actual physical and spiritual reality. And these locusts are a picture for us, friends, of demons and the destruction that they bring in our world, spiritually and and even physically speaking. We read earlier how the plague of locusts sent upon Egypt destroyed the land, completely cut down the crops and, uh, and, and the infrastructure of Egypt. And similarly, the emphasis here is on the destructive power of Satan and demons. They're like locusts. Now, most of us simply do not think much about Satan and demons or the the spiritual warfare that is going on in our world. Uh, And without wanting to unduly worry you about it or to cause, cause a kind of unhealthy fascination in Satan and demons, which some people do have, Christian and otherwise, we do need to consider what the scripture teaches us about them. This is here for our instruction. And so just a few things to highlight to you. I want to sort of keep a... We don't want to get too lost in all the details of these strange pictures. I want to pull some general truths about Satan and demons out of this passage. At number one, Satan and demons, though real and dangerous, cannot fatally torment Christians. Satan and demons, though real and dangerous, they cannot fatally torment or harm Christians. Christians often talk about Satan tempting us to do certain things. And it's true, he does do that. But friends, Satan is not omnipresent. In other words, Satan is not everywhere at once. Boys and girls, that's one of the the first things we try to teach you about God. God is everywhere. God is as much here with us now as he is on the other side of the world, as he is in the whole universe. He is everywhere at once. The devil is not The devil is not everywhere at once. He is limited to being in one place at one time. Now he can move more freely around this world, around the spiritual realm because he is a spirit being. But what that means is that most of the time it probably isn't Satan himself who tempts us. It's likely going to be one of his demons, another evil spirit doing Satan's bidding. Or it may just be our own sinful flesh. And sometimes perhaps we're too quick to blame Satan or demons for something that's just part of our old sinful nature clinging on and tempting us away from God's word. But whatever the case, the power of Satan and demons over Christians, friends, is limited. Look at verse 4. Verse 4. They were told not to harm. This is Satan and demons. Were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plant or any tree, but only those people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. And that picture of the seal of God on the forehead, that's just a way of, of describing Christians. It's used several times in the book of Revelation. We'll see it, we've seen it already in Revelation, we'll see it again later. God's chosen people are described as those who are sealed. If you're a Christian, you're sealed. You're chosen, you're protected, you cannot be lost now that you have been. Uh, saved by the grace of God in Jesus Christ. You have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. That is the seal of God upon you, the Spirit dwelling in you. 
And that means that Satan and demons can tempt Christians, but they cannot fatally harm or destroy Christians the way they can do unbelievers. Satan and demons cannot fatally torment Christians. Second thing we learn about Satan and demons in this passage is that there are a lot of demons. There are a lot of demons. There are many evil spirits active in our world today. And that's emphasized to us by this picture of locusts. Locusts ordinarily are found in packs or or swarms, lots of them together. That's when they're at their worst, when when there's a huge swarm of them. Notice verse 7. In appearance, the locusts were like horses prepared for battle. And so here, the picture of demons changes from locusts to horses. They're, they're like a huge military force, like the cavalry that you would have seen lined up in years gone by, the, the forces of soldiers on horseback. Satan has a lot of demons. He doesn't have anywhere near as many demons as God has angels. There are more good angels than there are evil demons. But nonetheless, Satan has a formidable force of demons. Third thing that we learn about them, Satan and demons are intelligent, deceptive, and deadly. Satan and demons are intelligent, deceptive, and deadly. Verse 7 says these locusts had crowns of gold. Uh, That indicates that they have a measure of power and authority, just as uh, the king or queen has a crown, denotes their authority. And the very end of verse 7 says they had faces like human faces. A human face in books like Revelation is usually a symbol of intelligence or understanding. Mankind is corrupt, but we do have a measure of intelligence. And Satan and demons likewise are not stupid. They have a measure of intelligence. Verse 8 says that they have hair like women's hair. That means that they can put in front of us what seems at first attractive or enticing. Something that we think we want and need and will be good for us. But then it says they also have teeth like lion's teeth. And so what is presented as attractive, as alluring, in fact turns out to be lethal and deadly. Those who suffer from sexually transmitted disease or from the ravages of drug abuse. Those who have lost everything to gambling. Those who have broken their family in two through marital unfaithfulness. Those who have forsaken everything and everyone to get rich only to be left feeling emptier than ever. They can all testify to having something that seemed attractive but which turned out to torment them, to leave them guilty and empty as if they'd been eaten up by a fierce lion. Final thing this passage teaches us about Satan and demons is that they cause bloodshed, pain and death on the earth. Satan and demons cause bloodshed, pain and death on the earth. When the sixth trumpet is blown, verse 14, we're told that four angels are released at the great river Euphrates. Notice they have been bound there, but they are now going to kill a third of mankind on the earth. The river Euphrates is a boundary line all throughout the Old Testament. 
uh, to the east of the promised land. And in many ways, what lay beyond the, the Euphrates River for God's people in the Old Testament, it represented threat and danger and possibly even death. Many of the worst enemies of God's people in the ancient world, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, they all came from east of the Euphrates. Their great armies, their great power. Uh, and that's the, the symbol for us here, that Satan and his forces are huge and they are coming and they are dangerous. Look at verse 16. The number of mounted troops was twice 10,000 times 10,000. I heard their number. Uh, taken literally, that's an army of 200 million. And some Christians look for a literal fulfillment of that number. And they keep an eye on how many soldiers are in the Chinese army uh, and all kinds of other things. Uh, and other armies from the east. But the number is probably best understood symbolically. This is an intimidatingly large number. So what's the sixth trumpet telling us, friends? Well, it's telling us that Satan and demons cause bloodshed, that armies march out upon the earth, enticed and influenced by Satan and demons. And they wreak havoc. The senseless, ludicrous wars that are often fought. There's one going on even as we speak in Eastern Europe. There are many other wars going on in the world today Do And we think, why do people do this? Maybe you've heard people use that phrase. What would possess you to do X, Y, or Z? Possess. Interesting choice of word. What possesses megalomaniacs like Vladimir Putin to create a name for himself through conquest and bloodshed? What possessed Adolf Hitler to attempt to build the Third Reich and conquer Europe? What possesses African warlords today to put rifles in the hands of little boys and to go on rampages around their neighbourhoods? Such people, friends, are at least influenced, if not outright possessed in some cases, by evil, by Satan or his demons. It's important to notice that as these creatures come out of the pit, back in chapter 9, verse 2, smoke comes out with them. Smoke blinds us. Smoke disorients us. We stumble around not really knowing what we're doing, as we considered last week with the light and the dark. And that's the effect, spiritually speaking, that Satan and demons have upon this world and upon those whom they target. They blind them. They confuse them. They twist their thoughts and their motives and their hearts. See, Satan uses different strategies with different types of people in our world. In some parts of the world, you will find Christians having to deal with demon possession among their unsaved neighbours. Reformed Presbyterian missionaries over the years have reported even having to deal with that. But in other places, particularly cultures like ours, Satan is more subtle. Putin wouldn't be claimed to be influenced by evil. Those who worship the gods of Allah or Krishna or Buddha wouldn't claim to be influenced by evil. Those who call the murder of unborn children women's health care. Those who march in parades celebrating perversion. They might not believe that they're committing evil deeds. They might not believe that they're influenced by evil. But that's because they're blind. It's because of that smoke, that power of demons upon this world. Listen to Paul's warning to Timothy, 1 Timothy 4, verses 1 and 2. 
The Spirit expressly says that in later times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. Teachings of demons. The idea that the murder of unborn can in any way be described as necessary health care, that's demonic. That's a teaching from the pit of hell itself. The stirring up of armies to go on conquest and to claim land for no other reason than to feed a maniac's ego, that's demonic. The kinds of things that go on in, the, in our country today in the name of pride and identity and sexuality, it's nothing more than demonic. The influence of Satan and demons, friends, doesn't always result in someone being possessed. But Satan won't care as long as the end result is the destruction of that person's soul. There is terrible evil in our world, friends, because Satan and demons are real and they are powerful and they are at work. The reality of evil. Much more briefly, we think secondly today about the restraint which is upon evil. There is restraint on evil. And that restraint is the control of God. As frightening and unpleasant as much of this chapter is, friends, is actually crammed full of reassurance that Jesus Christ, the Lamb, is in control of it all. Evil exists, but evil is not all that exists. The devil is still God's devil. And this is emphasized over and over again in Revelation chapter 9. Notice, for example, in verse 1, that before Satan can unleash these locusts from the pit, he has to be given a key to the pit. In other words, he didn't have control over it originally. He is given a measure of control over it. The key is symbolic all through Revelation of control. If, there, if you have car keys, you get to drive the car. If you have house keys, you own the house. And similarly, uh, Satan has in his hands a measure of control over this pit. Notice as well verse 4, as these locusts emerge, what do we read in verse 4? They were told, in, in other words, they were ordered, they were commanded not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plant or any tree, but only those people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. So again, there is limitation there upon the work that these evil spirits can do. There is only so much that they can do. Notice verse 5. They were allowed to torment them for five months. Five months apparently is the normal lifespan of a locust. Apparently they do their worst through roughly May through September. The point is the work of Satan and demons goes on now, but there will be a limit to it. There will be an end to it at a time that God has determined Notice what happens when the sixth trumpet sounds. Verse 14. Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. They're bound. and So they're under control until the time that God says release them. And then verse 15. So the four angels. Notice this. Who have been prepared for the hour, the day, the month and the year were released. They were released at only the precise moment. When in God's plan and timing, they are permitted to do their work. Friends, the text is making abundantly clear over and over again, the Lamb of Heaven controls the demons of hell. The Lamb of Heaven 
controls the demons of hell. The devil is still God's devil. Just as we saw when we read from Job chapter 1, Satan and demons are not all powerful. They're ultimately not in full control. Yes, they're able to do terrible and awful things, but they can do no more than God permits them to do. This is not a chapter about Satan's plans and Satan's work in this world. This is ultimately a chapter about God's plans in this world, God's will being done. Satan can only unleash his locust-like demons here because God gives him a key. They can only harm the people God permits them to harm. They can only do this at the time and until the time that God has decreed. Listen to how Derek Thomas puts it in his book, Let's Study Revelation. He says, in allowing Satan some rope, God uses him to execute judgment on a fallen world. In much the same way as a man might make use of a savage dog which hates him to drive unwelcome visitors off his estate. The devil is still God's devil. He is on the lead. And that quote from Thomas, it leads us to the final thing we want to consider today, which is the purpose of evil. And this is not, I'm not saying this is definitively the only purpose of evil, but the purpose of evil as far as this passage is concerned is judgment on hardened sinners. Judgment on hardened sinners. You might be thinking, I don't know what to think about all of this. Why does God allow this at all? Why is evil even permitted at all in our world? Well, ultimately, friends, we are not in a place to answer that question. We know that God created the angels with free will. And he created mankind with free will. And both Satan and demons and human beings have chosen to rebel against God. And we are reaping the consequences of that. But as well as that, most of us have dealt with little children at one time or another. Either our own children or a niece or a nephew or children we're in charge of in school or church youth. And we know what it is sometimes to have our reasons for doing things that they can't fully comprehend. And if we puny, tiny, limited, sinful human beings have our reasons at times for unpleasant necessities, how dare we question the decrees of holy, holy, holy God? It's in a slightly different context, but Paul says in Romans 9 verse 20, Who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Well, what does molded say to its molder? Why have you made me like this? And so to him, what he chooses to permit and allow in our world, friends, we we can only ask so much. And we say that his ways are not our ways and we are not in the place of God. However, revelation like the rest of scripture does in fact give us a measure of answer to why evil is permitted in our world here and now. Look at verse 20. Verse 20. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, nor give up worshipping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood, which cannot see or hear or walk, nor did they repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality 
or their thefts. Friends, in allowing Satan and demons a measure of influence and scope to sting and destroy, God is in fact judging this world. He is giving rebellious sinners what they have chosen. Men and women have chosen disobedience. They have chosen rebellion. They have chosen to arrogantly turn away from God. And much of the evil revelation is telling us here that exists in this world is God saying, you get what you choose. Verse 17, as the sixth trumpet unveils this army of horses riding out to destroy, it says that they bring smoke and sulfur, that their breastplates are the color of fire. Smoke and sulfur and fire is all symbolic, friends, of God's visible judgment. Think about what happened at Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, the, the, the sulfur and the smoke rising as a witness to the world that God had delivered judgment upon Sodom and Gomorrah. Well, so today, friends, his judgment, this, this judgment from God here and now is another trumpet blast. It is another warning to people to repent before it is too late. And yet remarkably, shockingly, the chapter ends by telling us that even those who, who are spared from the worst of what Satan and demons do still do not repent. It's like what we read in Exodus of Pharaoh's hard heart despite all that he saw and all that God brought against him. Likewise, we see around us today, despite the crises of our nation and our world, we see many people who simply do not humble themselves before God. People arrogantly ask, if God is real, why doesn't he show himself? If God's angry with my sin, why doesn't he judge me for my sin here and now? The answer is, friends, he could well be judging you for your sin. Three times in Romans 1, Romans 1 verses 24, 26, 28, Paul says, God gave them up. Means that in some instances, some of the time, God permits sinners to reap the harmful, bitter fruit of their sin. Sitting in sin sometimes, friends, is its own consequence. It is its own judgment from God. Derek Thomas says, even in the face of the most terrible judgments, there is no repentance. In, the, in, this, in this case in Revelation, it is not that they do not know. It is that knowing their sinfulness, they refuse to acknowledge it and turn to idolatry instead. This is the hardness of the human heart. That it can indulge in sin which leaves them empty. It can look at a world ravaged by war and famine and pain and perversion. It can see the impact of evil and still be too stubborn, too proud to repent and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Is there such a hard heart here in our midst this morning? Is there someone listening today in person or online hearing yet another trumpet blast of warning from God, receiving yet another opportunity to repent? Temptation as we consider the realities of evil and the difficult questions that it raises, the temptation is for you today to find one more reason to make excuses, another reason to question God, and yet how patient God has been with you. God is good. He is only and always and perfectly 
good. And he has been good to you. And he has been good to everyone in this world. How loving, how merciful he is to have taken on human flesh. To have subjected himself to the evil influence of Satan over his enemies. To go through the torment of the cross. The sting of the scorpion. The bite of the serpent. So that all of our sin would be atoned for. So that we would be saved and redeemed. And that dread, that dreadful pit of demons would never be able to touch us. Do we deserve that? No. We deserve the worst that God can unleash against us. And yet in wrath. He has remembered mercy. And he has sent the lamb to suffer evil. And die for our sins. And deliver us from the locusts and the serpent. Here's how to make sense of senseless wars. Here's how to explain the blindness of those caught up in addiction and materialism and false religion. Satan and demons are real. They are at work. They're permitted to torment and destroy because of the sinfulness of human hearts. And yet there will be those who do not repent. Today, dear friend, heed the trumpet blast of God. Consider the lamb slain but standing for the sins of the world. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Amen.